The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Hi, I'm Dr. Johanna Nalau and I'll be your host for this episode. I am a climate adaptation scientist, which means that I'm interested in how we deal with change and what we do when we get stuck. My guest today is writer and an adventurer, Lucy Barnard. So before we start, you may be aware of a little project Lucy has underway, which is to become the first woman to walk, that's right, walk the length of the earth from the southernmost point of South America to the highest point of Alaska. And in, in case you're wondering, that is 30,000 kilometers, which will take about five years all up. She has endured minus 17 degrees in the snow blizzard and survived 50 degrees Celsius in the Atacama Desert. For much of the journey, she was alone. But then she acquired a puppy cattle dog called Wombat for companionship and security. I'm curious as to where her passion and her ideas come from how she deals with setbacks and isolation, and just what is it that keeps her putting one foot in front of the other. Lucy is back in Brisbane without wombats on a COVID force pause in her mission. Lucy, welcome. Thank you. So Lucy, I've read all about your walk, watch your vlogs, and I've introduced you here, but I'd love for you to take us to the beginning of your journey. Why did you start walking and where did this vision for the walk come from? I guess the idea was more about having a longing to be out in an open space. I know that sounds, you know, really abstract, um, but a core reason for me to do what I do is that I just love moving in free spaces. I love hiking and I just love being away from the hustle of day-to-day life. Um, and another side of what I'm doing is that I'm a communication specialist and I, part of me wanted to see if I could sustain myself practising the theories that I've learnt through my university degree and through the course of my career. So it was an opportunity to have a test and see how well I could go. Um, and then the project itself was more to do with having learnt that no woman had walked the length of the Americas previously, but plenty of men had given it a go. Not all of them have completed it in the full extent, One, just one man has. And um, there was something about the challenge and the opportunity to travel that really appealed to me. And so I thought, I, I'm going to give it a go. And you did. I did. <laughs> oh, look, I, like, that's amazing because for I think for a lot of people – you know, having having that kind of um, mission and, and, you know, just saying, okay, I will take as many years as it takes, it's, it's probably something most people would not do. Yeah, and, you know, to be fair, I didn't really start with the commitment of finishing. I 
really love being involved in projects and giving things a go. Um, and so because I've done a lot of extensive canyoning and hiking in the past, um, I really felt that it, there was a curiosity that I wanted to satisfy to see just how long I could endure. And then I went through this early stage period of starving because when you become an adventurer, that's something that happens. You just, your body goes into overdrive needing food. And then I went through a period of being in pain all the time because equipment breaks and your body is getting used to what you're doing. And that's the a period where I really wanted to quit. But then at some point it becomes your lifestyle. And so when you make that evolution, it really just becomes something that you, a lifestyle that you know nothing else is separate from. And in fact, coming home for this break has been a really good lesson for me in learning how to reassimilate. And I've always been conscious that there's an end because the first man to walk the length of the earth, George Megan, he had a really hard time. He felt like he'd lost his identity at the end of his expedition because he had no other plan. So I, I do. I have lots of plans for when I finish and I've been enjoying the time being back, but there's definitely been lessons learnt about... Mm. Um, what I'll need to consider for when the finish does arrive. And do you remember, so in, in the kind of early days, you know, when you were going through, you said pain, you know, starvation, do you remember what kind of particularly kind of helped you to, you know, not give up? Because I think that's a lot of what we struggle with. Like I know I struggle on a daily basis with, <laughs> you know, with yeah. some things in my life and I'm, you know, trying to, like with the podcast, we're also discussing, well, what are the kind of habits or even like, you know, the kind of mindset that we need to keep going when things get really tough? Yeah, for me, it's all about community. So we talk and are very familiar with the idea that children are raised by communities. And I think the same thing about projects. This is not something that I've done on my own. Mm. I have done a lot of the planning. I do all of the logistics. However, I have friends that I can confide in who are experts in their field and get advice. There are people who support me on bad days and now I have a community behind me as well who are so encouraging. There are you know, mostly adults who follow me but a lot of adults with children whose kids are growing up as I'm walking and who write me letters. And then I think, you know, what does quitting look like? How am I going to mm. tell Emma's child that I'm not doing it anymore? They're not, you know, and explain yeah. explain why. And, of course, I personally am not uncomfortable with quitting. I don't think that's a failure and that's that generosity to myself is really helpful as well. Um, but, you know, there have been days where I have had to walk for 10 days and I've run out of food before getting to town and then something's broken and I've had a boil on the back of my foot so every step hurts and um, then I've been water poisoned and have had chronic illness overnight and I've just managed to limp into town at the end of my tether and always there is someone at town ready to pick me up and tell me that I can keep going and this is the amazing thing about the culture of Chile and Argentina, they're dreamers and they love projects and they hear that you're doing something and they see so many cyclists doing exactly what I do but they've never met anyone on foot and they've, they have conviction that I will keep going and I can distinctly remember streams of people saying, you'll, you'll be the first, you're going to do it and in my head thinking, 
you don't know me. I'm not. Mm. I'm, I'm quitting when I get to the next town. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, sure enough, I get mm. pushed out onto back onto the trail by a family or by some do-gooder who's yeah. met me and has that belief, and that's how I've ended up having finished this. You know, the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. That's a really beautiful description because I think, I mean, I read a lot about kind of leadership and management leadership and we often see that there is this kind of lonesome hero idea that you know the people who achieve anything are these somehow they're these extraordinary people who just have it and you know and they just go at it alone so that's so wonderful to hear that you have that community. I'm really lucky yeah and I think also you really see that in more and more single adventurers in whatever capacity. It doesn't have to be in outdoors, you know, people who are interested in experimental cooking. More and more we're seeing them having patrons, so people who are subscribing and paying for them Mm. to continue providing their content. And it's because as much as that individual gets out of it, so do their readership. And that's something to be considered too, I think. And... Something you said there, you know, having kind of, you know, being on the journey and just keep, you know, walking and walking and walking. Um, I recently read this book on Inner Chatter, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's, and basically the, it's written by a psychologist who said that, you know, a lot of the way that we have that inner chatter, some of it comes from the childhood, but it has, has a massive impact in how we think about ourselves, how we think about what we are capable of. And how that also impacts, you know, in my research, I look at climate adaptation. So I see that a lot of the ways that we think about particular things and really impacts on what we think, how we can adapt. Um, When you have been walking, what's that inner chatter like for you? What are you telling telling yourself? You know, are there particular things that you've noticed that you keep saying to yourself or the way that you talk to yourself that has helped you? Yes. Okay. I do. Um, I chatter a lot to myself just naturally. Um, not, not even separate from the expedition, you know, um, something that I would think about a lot are milestones and goal setting. I think that's probably the most helpful. So I, um, will often look at my watch and I'll pick a time when I'll stop or I'll pick a um, a, a location which has backfired on me because, you know, in arid lands, a telegraph post that you will notice might actually be two days away and not a few hours away. That's literally happened to yeah. me, um, which is really hard because I'm very good at setting goals, but when that goal is shifted and it's out of my control, I find it really um, demotivating. So most days I will have a treat in my bag <laughs> sounds like I'm dog training <laughs> um, and I won't allow myself to eat the biscuits until I get to the top of the mountain and when you know if you were if you've ever walked at altitude where there's half the oxygen available and every step is really laboursome it's very nice to have bribery for yourself um, but other times I just enjoy the walk so much that if I don't have to navigate I'm on a on a very defined trail there's very little I have to do except say to myself, isn't this great? I did watch one of your vlogs where you said, oh, I'm going to get on top of the hill. And then a while later, you're like, well, that wasn't the top. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of kept kept going and going and going. And I think, I mean, that's kind of persistence. Yes. Um, 
it's something that I think a lot of us, you know, even professionally, and when we think about our careers and like, how do we keep this going? I mean, I know like for myself, you know, that's something, well, I don't say I struggle with it every day, but you know, like often it is like, how do you, what do you do when you have set these goals or these milestones? And sometimes it's, it's like that. I'm like, oh, like I'm okay. So I'm not there. I thought I was going to be there, but. Yeah. So I've learned because mm. that happens a lot, these pseudo summits. Um, and so now I have contingency goals. For example, it's either this or that depending on what comes first. So I will have a break in two hours unless I reach the summit first. And that way there's more of a controlled milestone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, my research is all about kind of adaptation, flexibility, kind of how do you deal with these kind of changing challenges and circumstances. Yeah, and it comes with experience as well. You, you know, at the beginning I was very inflexible and that were the that was the hardest period because, um, yeah, I was just really critical on myself. I didn't have the systems in place. You know, now I can wake up, eat breakfast, have my dog packed up because he has his own backpack yeah. <laughs> and have the tent collapsed and be taking my first steps within an hour. But when I started, that could take anywhere between two hours was the 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 goal and that was when I was doing really well but sometimes up to three hours just because of the wind and all the things that I wasn't used to in Australia's context Mm. the the weather over there is far more severe and also learning and I knew that it would take a while to get these systems in place and I was trying to be nice to myself about it but also you just want everything to work immediately it's natural yeah so um yeah learning that you're it's just you that's casting your own judgment um or at least for me that has been something that's been useful yeah Mm. and you've clearly mastered um or at some level you know kind of the change of plans because I think a lot of us want stability Mm. um we want to and and that's why I find for instance climate change fascinating because it is about change and people really don't like change because we want to be you know have our coffee just the way we, you know, we always have it um, and have these kind of routines and habits that make us feel like, you know, we we are in control. And also I think in terms of that example, we're really resistant or I'm, I know that I am really resistant in any kind of conflict resolution in humility and accepting a level of culpability. Sure. I've grown up my whole life with people who drive cars And, you know, that's an entitlement to some extent and learning that there might be a better way that's better for everyone and the planet in the long run and taking that leap and the inconvenience and finding new workarounds means that you have to start by acknowledging your part and that is not easy. So you could you explain a bit so what happened when the pandemic took place? How... How do you feel or how did you feel about, you know, when you realise that that's kind of what you need to do, that you just need to stop? And I did read that, you know, obviously one of the key issues was then to find a secure home uh, for one bed for that time. Yeah, so there is opportunity in staying in that it would have offered me a lot 
a lot of storytelling and it would have also offered me an opportunity to become fluent in Spanish, which was the one side of this decision-making that was really difficult because if I'd stayed and stuck my guns and found somewhere safe, um, then a big part of my thinking was that it was it was actually a gift and that it would be really worthwhile for me to stick around. Um, and then on the other hand, not knowing if visas would be granted and compassion, which they did end up doing. I, you know, I have to take my hat off to people who got caught. They were treated very well and many people now have citizenship in the countries they were stranded in because it was so hard to get home. Um, however, I have a very outspoken family <laughs> um, and also importantly to me, I've had a few friends pass away while I was away and I have an ageing family and I, above this, you know, perceived gift of having a writing opportunity and a beautiful chance to tell the other side of the story and bring compassion and perspective to other people that are affected by COVID, I also valued more the opportunity to come home and spend time with my mum and my auntie and my sister's children I hadn't met. So uh, <laughs> I got very excited and was eager to make it happen and it just turns out that somebody who followed me who lives in Colombia had a friend who trains dogs and runs marathons and is far more extreme than I am when it comes to adventure and so what better person mm. to take custodianship of Wombat for me while I'm away than Santi and um, also this person who's so similar to me in values um, is now in a situation where he works in tourism to earn money but there is none so I was able to offer him to pay for his rent which is only 80 US dollars a month so I would pay his rent in exchange for him to look after my dog. And, you know, I have friends who live in Colombia who just think that's way too much and that's insane. And I just think, you know, I'm helping someone out in an extraordinary situation, but I'm also ensuring that if he's housed, so is my dog. And it's somebody who understands that you can't just leave him on the street mm. and best of luck to you not getting hit by a car. Like he really understands that so why wouldn't I I've got the perfect opportunity for him to be looked after and it isn't great that I'm not we're not together you know that's still a bit of a torment for me but at least I've got the best case scenario as far as I know it's South America anything could change while I'm here yeah. um, and I've done all of my due diligence but more importantly I mean who knows how – I didn't know how long COVID – I thought it was going to be six months and I'd be back. It's been two years. Then you add on another – so let's say I haven't been able to progress forward mm. in all that time and then it takes me another three years to finish the Northern Hemisphere. That's a really long time without seeing family, particularly when, um, you know, my auntie's 93 and mum is fringing. She's getting <laughs> close to 80 and I think that over any personal aspirations that I have – I can always pursue them later. Maybe you know, maybe not with my body, but um, there are always other things that will give me joy. But nothing will give me back that mm. time. So I'm so pleased to have been given this little pass out <laughs> while I 
have this time, this critical time with my family and then I can go back and continue from where I stopped. So, yeah, so you had to cut the mission, you found a home for Wombat, uh, you came to Brisbane. How did you land on your feet and kind of, you know, coming from a quite ex- extreme experience, coming back to Australia and kind of to normal life? Yeah. How did that go? I wish I documented this more mm. because um, it's not straightforward given that I have to take care of my security while I'm overseas and life has become a lot easier with a dog to help with that. However, there is a residual underlying layer of awareness and I'm always ready for a fight. Um, But the fear of violence um, is something that I take seriously. You know, you have to be really diligent and pragmatic to not put yourself into an elevated risk. So... It took a really long time. And when I return, I'm going to land back in the thick of it. That's not a problem. But then as I leave Central America and I go through the States and have time in Canada, I have – and they, they're cult, there is culture difference there for sure, but, you know, I have a, at least an opportunity to descale the stress before I yeah. get home. And I have a um, business plan because the – true goal of this expedition isn't really about becoming the first woman although that is important but it's to become an ethnographic writer where I'm able to go out on expeditions find communities that are poorly understood and who aren't well known publicly and I'm not there to reveal where their location is and have them inundated with tourism my job is to tell their story Mm. from a compassionate point of view and show the world that there are different ways that people live and that those are perfectly acceptable too. And just to convey love. Mm. Yeah. And so how do you see future now? Busy. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, so I'm studying project management and I've just done a, what's known as a Gantt chart to get myself prepared for leaving and I thought I'd leave between you know sometime after September but only because a girlfriend's getting married in August and I'm in the bridal party so it would be nice of me to show up and um, wear a dress for the first time in a long time Um, but after doing all of that scheduling I've realized that I actually cannot get going until December Mm. and so these next following months are going to be very distracting for me. There's no time to think of any anything else except I have tasks that need finishing or I'm never getting back. So I am now in chaos mode again. <laughs> and do you find yourself using those habits you had on the road? So, you know, kind of trying to say, okay, December, so are you thinking about the kind of mile milestones and the kind of smaller goals that you need to set? Yeah, Definitely. And, and yeah, I should bring treats in, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a different approach. It's a different mm. mindset here because everything is more controllable. You make a plan over there and you, you're wasting your time. It will go out the window before you step outside because it's just the nature of how life is over there. Um, but yes, I have, I have deadlines. I have a working group where I meet with people who are working on their own projects and we keep each other accountable. So every Wednesday night 
we're there late in the evening making sure that we've met all of the things we said we were going to do the week prior. Um, And that, I think, is one of the most powerful tools that I have in my kit because without someone saying, you said you were going to do that last week and holding me to account, I think it would be so easy to just not get that one thing done that would be very useful. Um, If you think about, let's say, your two last three, two to three years, what have you learned about yourself that has really surprised you? Being home, being at home, do you mean? Just uh, overall, you know, you know, something that you used to think about yourself that maybe now in two years' time you're like, oh, I'm not actually that kind of person. I think the most illuminating thing that I've found from being home, especially having practiced the language and mentioning this, is that what is most important to me now is letting my family know that I love them and letting my friends know that I love them and I support them and having finding opportunities where I can prove that not it's not and it's not about proving it it's just that I get a lot of joy in enabling my friends and my family to do the things that they want to do it's so so important and I never really articulated it before because there was never a need Whereas my younger self was more focused on finances and making sure that everything can make money. And now having lived a humble life for so long and being living on a shoestring, um, money is just takes a back seat. And I think one of the most powerful things I've done in my life is work out how much money I really need versus how much I have because, you know, it has stopped me from being focused on wanting more and being content with what I have. Um, And it has just really alleviated so much stress out of my life, really, to draw the line in the sand with what I really need. Mm. And what would you say, I mean, you've had these amazing experiences, you know, walking and, you know, going going through these different phases and what would you say to someone, because we all had dreams, right? Yeah. So even if it's about our careers or what our life, you know, would be like and some people say, oh, you have to think about, write a letter to yourself when you imagine you're 80 and write this letter to your now self and how, how did you achieve your dreams? What would you say to some people who are kind of maybe professionally sitting on the fence and kind of looking at their dreams and thinking, oh, you know, what what should I do? What what are your like, you know, top tips in terms of actually starting to chase your dream? It's such a big <laughs> question <laughs> because I mean, obviously, everyone has their own mm, story yeah. and finance does come into yeah. this. Um, however, I think it's really important that you protect your dream so you know let's say you have always wanted to keep it relevant to me um to hike a through trail in the united states and these are beautiful trails so i can really see why that's a big deal you had to take six months out of your life to complete them it costs a lot of money to go overseas not earn income and support yourself over that period um so the most important thing 
is that when you tell someone, you tell someone who is always championing you and always supportive of your ideas, someone that you can more or less guarantee, of course, with your nerves, that they're going to turn around to you and say, that is a great idea, you have to do that, I'll come and join you for a section. Because the amount of times I have had people say to me, why? And not a curious why, but a why would you waste your time doing that? Not understanding Mm. that I have larger values at play and a larger career goal at play that feeds into this expedition. And it's hurtful. And when you have a, a... an idea that's in its infancy, it's very fragile and very easy to walk away from it. We've all done it. Um, and so I would say build your support team first. That may not be the people you would like it to be and and be protective of it or perhaps reach out to somebody who's done it before and they will give you confidence so that you can really articulate why you want to do it and have that self-assurance to make the leap. And then everyone else can just catch up. Love it. All right. Thanks so much, Lucy. That's been very inspiring and insightful. And we will all be looking forward to hearing the next steps when you when you have them and also hearing about Wombat and how that goes. Uh, we'll be sure to put all the links for social media and, and your blog as well on, on our podcast. And thanks so much. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to getting back out there. The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education.